It's been a busy off-season from an officiating standpoint, in addition to all of our camps and clinics and evaluations. Uh, we've had an engagement with Deloitte Consulting to really look at our officiating program end-to-end, -end and uh, really some good takeaways from there. The, the most positive was, uh, from my perspective, that they affirmed our selection criteria, our training, and our evaluation program, and so that was very, very positive. Things to build on. Uh, they've given us some uh, ideas and opportunities around analytics, and that's an area that we'll be um, focused and working in. We have a lot of data, and now we can mine that and do some things with it uh, for the new world analytics, so we're looking forward to that. And our communication strategy, uh, we're going to open it up and, and do some new things uh, around that. As far as our rule changes, uh, it's, a, it's an off year for rule changes, but we've got a number of changes this year, but they all focus around player health and safety, and I think that's where we need to be in our game. So with that, I'll, uh, I'll pause and see if there are any questions out there. Good. Um, talk to us about targeting. It's such a hot button issue, and what was the conversation surrounding that in the off season, and how do we get clearer on it, possibly even more correct? Um, and what's the future of targeting in regards to the SEC? So a couple things. Targeting rule, I know sometimes very unpopular with fans, but is really all around player safety. And we're really trying to change behavior. And the targeting rule, uh, regardless of how difficult it's been, has been good for the game. And, and it's a path we need to stay on. What's changing this year is the approach of replay. So the on-field officials, there'll be no change for how they officiate it. The rule book says when in question, it's a foul. These things happen at high speed, high hits, and when in question, we want them to put the marker on the ground. The change will be in replay. And really the driver in this change is we, wanna, we want replay to be able to confirm all aspects of a targeting foul or overturn it. So we're taking away the possibility of stands uh, in a targeting play, and that's different philosophy. Our, our philosophy in replay has always been the ruling on the field is correct unless there's indisputable video evidence to overturn it. We're really moving away from that with targeting, and we're saying that you must confirm all aspects of it, and if you can't confirm it, then overturn it. Can't, don't let it stand. I, I think what will happen is and we had about 12% of targeting fouls last year in a stands category and to disqualify a player you want to be able to confirm that it, he should be disqualified so i think that the marginal plays will now get overturned uh, but uh, I think this is a proper change at the proper time without taking any emphasis away from the player safety aspect of targeting The, so there's two types of targeting. I, and I, sometimes I get too geeky officiating jargon, but um, we have what we call crown of the helmet, targeting this crown of the helmet, and then we have targeting a defenseless player. There are two components. If it's a crown of the helmet hit, there are two components. And the first is, do you attack with forcible contact with the crown or top? We used to think of the crown as just the button. Now it's where the face mask bolts in all the way around. Uh, so if you attack and make contact with the crown of the helmet, that's one. And then there must be an indicator of targeting, a launch. 
uh, upward thrust, a lowering of the head to deliver or attack your opponent. So you have to see both of those components. If it's the other flavor of targeting, there's three components that replay will have to confirm each of. Number one, do you have a defenseless player? So is it a quarterback in the pocket, a receiver, whatever? If it's a, de- It has to be a defenseless player. That's number one. Then number two, we have to have forcible contact into the head or neck area of that defenseless player. And then third, you have to have an indicator. Again, a launch, upward thrust, uh, or leading with the helmet or forearm or other part uh, to, to deliver forcible contact. So most, uh, there's, there's both versions, but now replay will have to confirm if it's a targeted defenseless player, all three, or they'll overturn the call. And that's really the change. So even if there's one that doesn't Then it will be overturned. And, and, and one of those, an example we used earlier was a situation where, and we actually had a play where a defender is, is you know, playing a, a, a pass and the receiver is coming across the middle and they collide helmet to helmet. So replay would then take it. You know, the first question is, do we have a defenseless player? Yes, we've got a receiver. Second, do we have forcible contact to the head or neck area? In this situation, yes. But in the third, was there an indicator? The defender was actually playing the ball and not attacking the opponent. And as he's playing the ball, their helmets collide. So that's the type play that where you had that forcible contact last year, you may have let it stand. Now we would want replay to overturn that. Down here to your right. Steve, I'm from Baton Rouge, so you can get the Devin White question. But um, similar to the, what you just ex- explained, he was not necessarily attacking the quarterback, but there was helmet to helmet. Do you feel like the rule changes that you've made this year will not necessarily address intent, but kind of fall into that because you have these indicators that you're looking for? We, we really don't want, and it's almost impossible for our officials to understand intent. What's in his mind, we, we're not that good yet. But what we are looking at, and you referenced that play, that in this model that we have today, in that situation, you know, was there a defenseless player? Absolutely, quarterback's defenseless. Was, was there an indicator? Yes. You know, there was an upward thrust. You can kind of see the player go up on his tiptoes. Now you're left with, is there forcible contact to the head or neck area? There's no question there's contact to the head or neck area. You can see the quarterback's helmet move. But is it forcible? Maybe, maybe not. And now, in that questionable part, you would say, if I can't confirm it, then I would have to overturn it. So, again, coming back to those, those plays that are on the margin, I think maybe in the early days for player safety, we want – because, I mean, there was a concern, would officials even call this? I mean, disqual- most people think the officials love disqualifying players. That's the worst thing in our day is to have to disqualify our player or a coach. And so there's always this human nature not to disqualify a player. But I think where we've, as we've matured in this, we're ready for this change because now the video evidence can, we can walk through. And if you can't confirm it, we're not going to disqualify the player. Steve, to your left over here. Hey, Steve, uh, Jacques Duzet, Baton Rouge as well. Um, I think you spoke with the media maybe in the spring and you said you looked over the LSU-Texas A&M game last year and you felt like all those calls were correct in that contest. Is that true? Is that 
What you remember? Well, all. Uh, well, it was yeah. not a perfect game. So, uh, <laughs> but I, I will say this way: there were a number of calls. I mean, first of all, this is a game with 255 plays, seven overtimes, 14 extra red zone opportunities. I mean, this is a tough ball game to work. And, and there was this view in social media that this may have been the worst officiated game in the history of SEC football, and I may be exaggerating that a little bit. But there were a series of situations that each one of these could have ended the game and, and really – and they all seemed to go against one of the teams. But it really all kind of started in the social media debate where – the, the TV had the yellow line off, and there was this question about a first down or not, and how could the officials miss it so blatantly? And then when you go back and look, and actually the officials nailed it, and the yellow line was off on TV, maybe that got the ball rolling. But then there were a series of calls that could have ended the game. The quarterback going down on a knee, picking up the ball, not called on the field, replay, overturns it, correctly done. There's a situation at the sideline, heck of a call to put him inbounds. And then, you know, we have a spike, the clock runs out, replay comes back, puts a second back on. You have a catch-no-catch no catch in overtime that was correctly done. And, and I even said publicly there was a, an overtime two-point play where there was a pass interference call that I see what the official saw. There's a little tug there. But the reality in that situation, you may not want that call. But if you look at the balance of that game, it's a well-officiated game, far, far from the worst officiated game in the history. And, and I think that this really kind of put us out there to say, maybe we do need to communicate more. Maybe we need to explain. And, and quite frankly, as I've said to you guys many times, we've never worked a perfect game. So there is going to be a play in every game that you could say, Steve, is this incorrect? And, and so how we communicate that, I mean, our intent is to be more informational, understand the rules, understand the philosophies, and we have to call it when we have an incorrect call. But uh, trying to figure out how to navigate that is going to be a learning process for all of us. If I get to your point, yesterday the commissioner said uh, social media is a bit bad because everyone's doing these screenshots now and saying, hey, look at this, this was holding, or this was, maybe it's not an accurate reflection of what happened? We, I always have this little comment, and, and I don't know, Chuck may not like this comment, but we do not officiate on a steel shot. And, and we get steel shots all the time. This is holding well. We, when you really work through, we, we communicate well with our players, our coaches, but you get, you know, with a rip technique, and again, I don't want to get too geeky here, but when you have a rip technique, the defender rips under that offensive lineman arm and his arm is going to go up and all of a sudden it's going to look like I'm holding you around your neck but I have no control of that arm the defender puts it there so it's things like that that on a steel shot you don't see but in the video you see the rip and so that's not a hold we won't we don't and, and the players understand you know when you have a rip that's not a hold and you're not going to get that call and I think part of the communications and what we're really excited about you know commissioner mentioned we sent all of our referees to Destin. We spent some time with the coaches. And we're going to do a two-day camp where we're sending crews to each campus to spend two days. And part of that is education for us and the teams and the, and the coaches where you know, the example will be the umpire will sit in in the players' meetings of offensive line, defensive line, understand their techniques, what they're being taught. We'll talk about what we look for, what we're going to call. And I think there'll be learnings both ways. And, and, and so we're excited about 
enhancing that communication with our teams uh, in addition to what we're going to try to do in the public eye. To your left, down here, front row. AP Stedham, WHEP, AM and FM, Foley, Alabama. Steve, why is of the number five, you start the two-point conversion after five touchdowns and extra points. Why was it five, not four or three, whatever? The rules committee, this is around our change in overtime where when we get to the fifth overtime now, we are going to go straight to a two-point play, so not run the series. And the, the, the reason behind it, again, around player safety is in very few games, but when we have these long extended overtimes, that's a lot, that's too many plays. We, we need to get the players off the field. What the rules committee debated was, first of all, just the fabric of our overtime, and really they came to the point that we love the NCAA overtime procedure. We think it's in the sweet spot. Some people say it's better than the NFL, it's better than high school. Regardless of that, it seems to be working well. So nobody wanted to change the fabric of it. And then there's a natural break today. So you have two overtime periods. And then with the third, you're required to go for two. The reason for that is the, the chances of making a two-point play are not as high as a kick. So therefore, maybe you get a differentiation in the score. So the committee said, hey, let's keep symmetry. They get two times normal, two times when we go for two. If we've completed four overtimes, it's time to get this game over, and we're going to go straight to the two-point play. So that was really to keep overtime and the fabric of it, which everybody thinks working well, but for the safety of our athletes. Because when you're, when you're fatigued, that's when injury begins to, to creep in or the opportunity for that. So I think it's the proper change. And when you get to it, there are very few games that have five or more overtimes, but when we do, we need to get those players off the field. To your right, standing up. Christina Chambers from Fox 6. Just what's the purpose of the SEC officiating Twitter account? You talk about communication. You're going to see screenshots. So why did you guys want to create that? And what's the purpose of it, um, I guess, to communicate with fans and go over rules? Well, that's exactly it. We want to communicate uh, with our fans and, and the media as well. And, and we think that you know, in today's world, that's a great way to start that conversation. Now, let me, let me make sure everybody's clear. I'm not going to be tweeting anything. I'm not a tweeter. I'm not a guy. We, we have people that are really talented in that. And what I hope happens, uh, but sometimes doesn't happen in the Twitter world, I would love it to be a serious conversation site for officiating calls, for rules, for, for philosophies, how we make certain calls. And so I think we want to try to communicate that. What's clear is there's no way we can comment on every play. I mean, that, so deciding what type play, when to do it, is going to take someone beyond me. But I think the goal there would be, uh, again, I provide the officiating kind of perspective on that, and then it's cleaned up for, for social consumption and, and put out there. And the goal is uh, not just to create a firestorm, but to give good information and, and how we're going to walk through this, I don't know yet, but I'm, I'm always very honest with our coaches. When we have our communications with them, if we have an incorrect call, now, I'm, I'm, I'm always selective in my words. We don't have blown calls. We don't have horrible calls, but occasionally we have an incorrect call. And, but I, when we have an incorrect call, I'll tell our coach and I'll tell them why and what we've got to do to correct it. 
And I, I think we've got to take that same approach in, in a social media world. I've got to be willing to say that's an incorrect call and here's why to have the credibility to say, no, this is a correct call and here's why. So I, I'm not sure where it's going. Uh, we, we got an immediate response, a set of responses, and uh, you know they were good and bad. Uh, but I hope we can use it to impart good information uh, and not just have some creative dialogue. I, I, I'm not good at the creative dialogue part of it. it. Will your responses be like while the games are going on, like people have questions they can tweet this, tweet at SEC officiating, or is this something that maybe y'all take a look at you know certain plays that got a lot of attention and respond back on Sunday? Or that that's to be learned from our standpoint. There, there's nothing we're saying now that we wouldn't do in-game. Um, I, I still have my day job to do, so I'm, I'm not sure how much. But the idea would be if there's something very controversial or something out there misunderstood, yeah, let's do it in-game. How much of that can we effectively do? I'm not sure. I think certainly post-game we would do that. But I, I do believe that we want to try to be effective with it and we're prepared to do it in-game if we think it's effective and, and we can get it done. Um, but honestly, this is something we've got to learn and grow. I, you know, you, you could say, well, somebody, you know, point us to that model that's got it exactly right. And, and we've had a lot of smart people looking at, you know, other officiating organizations nationally, internationally. And I think we're all trying to find what is the sweet spot there and when do you comment, when do you not, and if you comment here, well, what about these four other plays? You, if you're going to comment here, you've got to hit these other. And how do you handle the volume of all that and, and make it effective? So um, we're going to be learning, and I, I'm, I'm excited about week one. But, again, I want you to remember that, you know, I'm, I'm not going to be sitting there with my phone, you know, doing this. It'll be brighter people than, than me actually delivering the final content. Hopefully the, the flavor and the words from an officiating perspective will come through. Front row right here. Back to targeting for a moment. There was some talk of an NBA style flagrant one or flagrant two. Was any of that discussed at your level? And do you feel like the rule changes will maybe negate the need for that? It, yes, there. In, in fact, there were a number of coaches that really wanted a targeting one, targeting two, similar to a basketball kind of view of a flagrant one, flagrant two. And the rules committee discussed it extensively across the board and the goal in this was not to back away from targeting because I think that would be a mistake in where we are in our game today however we wanted to find what's the best way to take those marginal plays that you really can't tell for sure out and I think where the rules committee came to is a really good point with with using our replay to to have to confirm it or overturn it uh, I think there was some concern with flagrant one, flagrant two. If you go look at NCAA basketball, they rarely go to the more severe. It's all, and it's a human nature thing. If, if you have two options, you're probably going to take the least of the two paths. It's just easier not having to disqualify that guy. I don't have to write up all this thing. And so I think there was a concern that if we went flagrant one, flagrant two, or targeting one, targeting two, that it could be a backup in targeting. And we just can't afford that for our game. And, and really, part of the rule that was added, um, the progressive penalty, I don't know if you saw that, but now if a player gets a third targeting foul within a season, not only will they miss that game, 
but they'll miss the next entire game. And again, not to be punitive, but if you have multiple targeting fouls, obviously you've got a technique situation that needs to be corrected. And three is probably the right number. If you get one, it could happen, you know, tough play. But if you get two, then you really need to spend some time with your coach to work on your technique because obviously you don't want to get to the third. Again, all of this is for the for the players' health and safety and really for the good, the long-term good of our game. We've got to find ways to take the head out, uh, not only for injury situations, but across the board. Take the head out and, and work on technique. Keep your head up, see what you hit. And, and I, I say this to players, we rarely have a targeting foul called when the player's head is completely up and they're seeing what they hit. It just, physiology just doesn't work to have targeting in those type situations.